Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, May the 14th uh, in San Francisco. This is going to be a very visual show for many different reasons. Uh, so if you're just listening, uh, try to imagine looking. And if you're looking, you're going to get a lot more out of this, I think, than just listening. Uh, we are talking today about a new uh, biography uh, of an important American artist, Rumare Bearden, in the homeland of his imagination. When this book came, I was particularly intrigued because uh, in my living room, uh, I have <laughs> the same painting uh, that is on the cover of, uh, of, of the book uh, by Rumare Bearden, uh, Early Carolina Morning. Uh, it's actually uh, a print owned by my wife. Uh, so I was particularly intrigued to talk to its author today, um, uh, Glenda Elizabeth Gilmore, who's talking to us. She's a professor of American history, um, Southern American history at Yale University, but she spends part of her life uh, on the, the west coast of Ireland. She's talking to me from there. Uh, Glenda, welcome. Um, this book is a beautiful book. It's very different from the kind of work you have done in the past. You tend to have written about uh, Jim Crow, for example, gender in Jim Crow, uh, defying Dixie. You've even co-authored a book on the United States. Why did you choose to write a book uh, about uh, Romare uh, uh, Bearden? And, and you might also clarify the pronunciation. I know you've suggested that actually uh, nobody called him Romare. Well, he um, he's named, it's a Swedish name, oddly enough, and there's a story behind that. But it's not pronounced, it was never really pronounced Romare. And in um, a couple of oral interviews, he spelled it phonetically as Romare. Um, most people called him Romy, Romery, Romy. And so I'm just going to call him Romy uh, as I talk about him. What, how did I come to this? I had seen his family throughout writing all those books and particularly the women in his family. I had lived in Charlotte uh, from 73 to 93 where he was born and there was a huge Bearden Renaissance where all the white people discovered Bearden and, and bought him up. Um, so he was always in the back of my mind. He was sort of a household name in Charlotte, but I began to realize in uh, my research for the other books that far from being a primitive artist or far from being a, a, someone who grew up beside a cotton field, his family was quite prominent and they were, he lived with his great grandfather. That generation was devastated by the introduction of Jim Crow. His mother was a politician in New York. She's all over uh, the news and defying Dixie. And so I wanted to do a biography of four generations of his family. Uh, you, you sound slightly disdainful in terms of um, the popularity of his work. Are, are you suggesting that perhaps there's an element of uh, a, a patronizing quality to some of his 
popularity, some of the the the, the, the fashion for for Bearden, or, or or am I misinterpreting, misunderstanding you? Well, uh, no, um, Bearden and was quite delighted to become that popular. And of course, uh, uh, he had patrons. One of his patrons was uh, what is now the Bank of America, which bought a lot of his work. I guess what I'm a little disdainful of is the simple story. Uh, African-American boy makes good, family goes to Harlem for opportunity because they can't have it in the South. Uh, he's a self-taught artist. He, none of those are true. Um, in fact, he took two years of fine arts training at Boston University as a degree from NYU and um, had extensive art training with George Groth's at the New York Art Students League. So I think that I'm a little disdainful, even of my own naivete, about Bearden in the Renaissance, where people sort of thought they had discovered him. He had been there all along. As a, a historian of the American South, and particularly, I mean, it's unavoidable. I mean, if you study the American South, you study race. Um, what was the, the challenge for you as a historian to write a book about an African-American artist? Well, the challenge was, challenge was the artist part. Um, I had been in African-American studies Mainly, I sort of migrated there at Yale. So I was immersed in an interdisciplinary um, department, but I'm not an art historian. I've been a political historian. And so as the book traces four generations and as it traces Bearden's life, I think the greatest challenge for me was also writing a biography of his artistic practice and how it changed over time, what it meant, what his influences were. And I actually resisted. I was able easily to do the material culture um, of the time, but I resisted full-on interpretation until right at the end when I began to tell the stories that Bearden invites you to tell in his book, in his art. Uh, we've done obviously a, a lot many shows on the politics of race and of racism, the politics of the American South, the politics of America. You're an expert in that too. Some of his art seems to me, this is the workers, I think. Uh, some of his art does seem quite political. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. Um, there's even a show touring now in America about his political art. He began as a cartoonist for the NAACP magazine, The Crisis. And those cartoons were all political. Obviously it's a political magazine. In the 1930s, he used social realism to convey sort of a working class and labor political agenda. Um, and then he founds in the 1960s during the civil rights movement, he's one of the founders of Spiral, which uh, was a black arts organization in Harlem, uh, put together Bearden and his friends to respond to the civil rights movement. So he's, his mother is quite the democratic left politician and he comes by it naturally, he's political, but he's also 
artistic and romantic and everything doesn't have a message um, or it may have a message if you see one there. Uh, at least his, his uh, website, the Romare Bearden or the Romy Bearden Foundation um, is divided his work into a number of different areas. You already talked about his cover art, oils, watercolors, collages, prints, public art, and cover art. Is there an area in your view where Bearden's excellent was, excellence, significance as an American artist was most pronounced? I think that it would have to be collage, but I would qualify that by saying that everything else in his artistic practice led to collage. Um, there's some abstract art here. He he was he said always said I'm a cubist, uh, and he learned with George Gross to uh, who his art teacher to draw black lines with a reed pen. So his drawings look like collage. His abstract art brings together abstract expressionism brings together elements of the cartooning, the lines, the color. And then they put it, he puts it all together, really, the, the sort of culmination of his artistic practice in collage. He's not someone who just sits down and starts cutting up and pasting things. He also used paint and gouache and, and um, lines he drew on collages as well. So it's, uh, it's superb, I think, a lot of it. We did a show uh, a couple of weeks ago with a Jewish historian, historian of uh, European Jewry, Charles Dalheim, has a new book out about how the Jews made the art world modern. And we talked about the the connection between the nature of the art, particularly Cubism, with its fragmentary, uh, circular, anti-establishment form and obviously message and the the place of Jews in 19th century and 20th century Europe. Uh, could we do the same with, with someone like Bearden with the form and the function of his work? I think I, th I think that there are many Bearden creates a kind of um, very modern form in collage. He is uh, in the agency, Samuel Coots is his agent, who is the uh, modern art uh, aficionado in New York. He represents Motherwell and everyone like that, but Bearden broke with Coots because he wanted to represent actual objects and people and things. And so the um, when it became intra-subjective looking within, which is what a lot of abstract artists followed, Bearden didn't want didn't want to paint that way. He wanted to represent things. At the same time, he didn't want to be rep, uh, limited to representing only things that spoke to African-Americans. He always said he was a universal humanist and that art should speak to anyone who wanted to listen. 
I described her in, in the lower third as the author of Romare Bearden, but the, the full title of the book is actually Romare Bearden in the Homeland of His Imagination, An Artist's Reckoning with the South. Let's talk a little bit about that title. Uh, the Homeland of His Imagination. What, what do you mean by that? That's a quote from Bearden. Uh, people take Bearden's work to be autobiographical, that it's about him or that the scenes of the family are about his family. But he left the South when he was five and his memories are episodic. Um, they're like collage, they're fractured. He returns once or twice to Charlotte at the most. And so he's he says that he's painting the homeland of his imagination. As he gets older, more and more scenes come back to him, but he doesn't see them linearly. He sees them chaotically. And he also, in his Southern art, uh, puts in a lot of uh, old master. He cites a lot of old masters. He'll cite Matisse, he'll put in Cezanne's Mont Saint-Victoire. Um, so, it's his imagination. And this book is really about imagination, which is very different from the rest of my books. Historians aren't supposed to mess with imagination. They're supposed to just deal with the facts. Well, that's what you claim, but you as a historian know that that's anything but true. Uh, the, <laughs> an artist reckoning with the South. Which South? Uh, you, you've mentioned Charlotte, which is a very specific part of the South. We've done a lot of shows on quote unquote, the South. We did one wonderful show last year with uh, W.L. W. Ralph Eubanks. Uh, mm. He has a beautiful book out of a place like List, Mississippi, a, a literary journey through uh, Mississippi, very different from Charlotte. We've done shows about Tulsa and various other massacres of one kind or another. Was there a particular South that Bearden wanted to remember? came up in his art? I think that he wanted to remember Charlotte desperately, but the South to him and to me is the global South. He has a series on New Orleans. He, he uh, spends about four or five months a year in St. Martin in the Caribbean. Uh, he spent summers uh, with his grandmother in Maryland. And so I think that part of what he thinks of as the South is rural places, not simply a particular South, but also places uh, that are colorful, lush. Um, he's fascinated by nature and plants. And he saw more of that in the South when he was growing up. This painting, uh, uh early Carolina morning, as I said, it's it's on our wall and it's on the cover of your book. What is it about this painting that's so uh, important? Why did you put it on the cover of the book and why do we have it on our wall? Not sure why you have it on your wall, but it's on the cover of the book because I think it represents a lot of different themes in his art and also in his, um, in his artistic practice. So, he begins rectangularly. What the way that he works is to lay out the canvas cover rectangularly. This is 
quintessentially rectangular. He often put a white cat in, Egyptian goddess of the home. He had a white cat. I really like the intergenerational um, scene with the mother or grandmother and the child, the child who's dressed up and ready to go out that door. And Bearden always has a win often, I'm, most often has a window on the left side as you view it of the painting. And what's happening in that window is the sun is rising. So I think it's hopeful. I think it embodies lots of, um, lots of, it, lots of his feelings about the South, but also a peacefulness that some of his other work doesn't, doesn't convey. The color is fabulous. And it's a, he, he becomes more and more colorful as he lives in St. Martin, as he travels in the South. There's a, almost a, a Dutch realism to this painting, isn't there? I mean, it, yes. it doesn't strike me as particularly abstract. No, 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 no. Um, and it's a little bit like the Matisse Red Room that it's, it's I think, Dutch, and he was quite conversant and he copied old masters. He copied people he liked. Um, and it is Dutch, it is French, it is Harlem. Did he see himself as an artist? Did he think of himself as in a, a tradition, a Western tradition perhaps, or an African tradition of creative art? He sees himself in a Western tradition. Uh, he wrote an article in Opportunity Magazine when he was in his early 20s, arguing that black artists shouldn't be limited to black themes, nor should they have to do complex landscapes and avoid modernism simply because they were black artists and had to prove themselves. He saw himself as an artist who could follow his work where it led him and it kept leading him as he went through life. Um, he had trouble at the end of his life in the seat. So he's a, a gap between the, he bridges the gap between the Harlem Renaissance and the black arts movement. By the time he gets to the black arts movement, he has been arguing for universalism so long and feels as if perhaps that's not the thing for him, not to, that he can't be limited only to African-American subjects in his work. Although they're obviously numerous and they're his, they're his main concentration in collage is black life. Did he, was he, I assume he was pretty familiar with the debates within the African-American community, W.E.B. Du Bois, Douglas, everybody else about uh, Western civilization, African-Americans. Was he, was he a polemicist in any way? Did he get involved in those debates? He wasn't a polemicist. His mother with whom he lived until she died during World War II at, and his father. His mother was a left-leaning democratic powerhouse in Harlem. And so she, I would say his, his politics are left liberal. For example, James Wilton Johnson's head of the NAACP 
uh, Bearden is a pallbearer at James Wilden Johnson's funeral. So he's hanging out in the Harlem Renaissance with people who have a broad range of political beliefs. Langston Hughes has just spent a lot of time in the Soviet Union. Um, but at the same time, he's just a left-leaning Democrat. Of course, he believes that um, segregation, Jim Crow, is wrong. And his, his, his own protest by not going south until 1940 and then only once and his family's protest by not going back after they uh, were sort of run out of the South is uh, speaks for itself, I think. Uh, you mentioned his mother several times. Uh, one of his perhaps more abstract paintings is this mother and baby. Um, he's obviously a male artist. H how important was the female figure and feminism or the symbolism of feminism in his work? I think that his Southern work, it's extremely important in the Southern work. Uh, he lived with three generations of women when he was, until he was five, his great grandmother, his grandmother and his mother. And he was surrounded by women. So his Southern work tends to be matriarchal. The, uh, we haven't talked about his Pittsburgh work, which is also in the book. That tends to focus on men. He was living with his uh, maternal grandmother who ran a boarding house for steel workers. And he was lonely. He was a young boy. And, and those figures are very powerful, very angular, and look like they're kind of scary to Beard Death. Was he retrieving any kind of tradition? I'm struck. One of his more famous paintings is this of Quilters, quilting, of course, was a, a very important tradition in the African-American community, 19th and 20th century South. Was he, a, if you like, a, somebody who wanted to remind people of the authenticity, the originality of African-American creativity? I'm sure that he did, but he... I would also say that his, George Gross, his teacher at Art Students League, argued that he invented photo montage in Germany in 1918 mm. or something like that. So he's got a lot of art world uh, influence on coming to collage. He wouldn't have you know, growing up in Harlem, there might not have been that many quilts around. They live at 50 Morningside Drive. They're very mm -hmm. modern people, but he's he's fascinated with color. Well, modern people can still quilt, can't they? True, um, true. Um, he, I'm sure that he probably saw quilts at his grandmother's houses at what, as well in Maryland and in Pittsburgh. How, I mean, you're a political historian, as I said, you author of, of many books, important books. You're the, you hold a chair at Yale, uh, Southern Studies, Gender and Jim Crow, uh, Defying Dixie, your book on America, These United States and Nation in the Making, you co-authored, deals a lot with racism. In terms of making sense, of analyzing, of writing a book about an African-American artist like Rumar uh, Bearden, did you have to make an effort 
to do this in a, if you like, a colorblind way? Should we, uh, should, should, should admirers of his work, should we be coming to this with race in the back or the front of our mind, or is it just one thing about him? He lived a life in which he was an artist for 50, 60 years. He had to have a day job uh, as a social worker for 30 of those years. So he lived in a segregated world. He constantly was faced with the fact that he was a black man and therefore his possibilities were confined in many ways. He wasn't fooled about any of that, despite the fact that he had a, a pretty privileged middle-class life in Harlem. So I tried to come to him as he was, who he was. I knew his people, uh, I knew what they had faced in the South and all of my books have been in a similar vein about how black people had hope, how they coped, how they succeeded and how they worked really hard for a very long time with a lot less recognition than they deserved for most of that time. What did you learn, Glenda? I mean, you're obviously extremely well-versed in the history of the South, in the history of racism, um, in the history of African-Americans. What did you learn as a historian about this, your, your expertise in writing this book that you didn't know before doing the book? You know, this was a very different book for me. Generally, you can, historians make arguments, they go to archives, they lay out the facts. Uh, none of that was exactly available to me in this book. It can't be outlined in a linear way. I wanted to try to disrupt the structure of the book in the same way that his art, his collages disrupt structure. I wanted to be able to um, work through his artistic practice so that I understood how he was coming to the paintings he was doing. And then in the end, I wanted to be free to use my imagination to think through the paintings and the collages um, and interpret them that way, which I've never really had the opportunity to do before. And I wanted the paintings to speak to the reader. And how important is Bearden, do you think, in the history of American art? I think he's important. I think that he will become more important as time goes on. He, his work in the time and place in the late 50s, 60s, 70s, and early 80s, spoke to so many people. And uh, there's a huge body of work 
I don't think that you'll be able to think about the sec art in the second half of the 20th century without thinking about Bearden and how he came to collage and what uh, it meant uh, to him and how as an artist and as a black man, it spoke to a wide audience like your wife who has it on the wall. Yeah, it's on our wall and it's going to have to after this conversation. Congratulations, Glenda, very much on this. It's a beautiful book. Uh, it's text is beautifully written, but uh, anyone had any interest in, in Bearden, they, it's a must have. It's, it's beautifully laid out. It's, um, it's just out, so it's essential reading. Congratulations, um, uh, uh, Glenda, on, on that book. Um, you're in Ireland, lucky lady, uh, by the coast. What else are you reading, Glenda, uh, on uh, windswept evenings by the coast yes. in the West? It, it's still chilly, too. I'm reading um, I'm reading right now Kate Mazur's new book uh, that just, I think, won the Pulitzer Prize until justice be done the first civil rights movement. It's about how African-Americans before the Civil War tried to use their rights as citizens in free states to, ex to extend that to full citizenship across the nation. It's really interesting just reading about black sailors getting kidnapped, free black sailors getting kidnapped in New Orleans and Charleston. And I'm reading, predictably, James A.G., A Death in the Family, which I'm rereading because it's so me. It's about place and it's about family and it's a good time to reread it. 